Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Guardian Mindset Podcast. I'm attorney Eric Daigle. I'm happy to be your host for this podcast. And today we're going to continue our discussion on qualified immunity, kind of like a part two of the last one we did. And as always, I'll start with a quote, and I couldn't, I couldn't refuse this quote. I was, it would jump right out at me. Uh, and it's a Yogi Berra quote that said, I wish I had an answer to that because I'm tired of answering that question. And what I mean by that is for the last two years, this issue of qualified immunity has come up over and over and over again. And most people are just looking at me saying, Eric, how can they put in legislation to throw out qualified immunity? And my answer has always been, I have no idea. Uh, and if you remember from the last podcast, when we went through qualified immunity, we did, you know, we reviewed the fact that qualified immunity is, uh, is misinterpreted as a, uh, as an excuse or misinterpreted as a way to protect officers that do things wrong. And that can't be further from the truth. In fact, you know, qualified immunity is, is basically the way I interpret it is that you can't be held accountable for a rule that's not yet made. And that's the key on a key concept of understanding qualified immunity. And the other fact of qualified immunity is the fact that it also applies to all government agents. So it's not just police officers, it's anyone who works for the government. And it's really again painful for me because I kind of been watching the tea leaves. And as we talked about in the last um in the last article, we talked about the fact that dealing with issues of qualified immunity have not been on the table of the Supreme Court since 2019. Actually, it was 2017, 2018, 2019. You know, White versus Pauley, 2017. Uh, Casella versus Hughes, 2018. And then finally, we had Emmons versus the city of Escondido in 2019. And then everything went quiet. And then we had COVID and legislation issues became more and more prevalent. And all of a sudden we saw a lot of legislation that tried to get rid of this, this uh, thoughts of qualified immunity because it would protect officers that were doing things wrong. And, and what was very difficult for someone like myself was that the Supreme court kept very quiet in 2000 in 19, 2020, they rejected eight cases on uh, on the area of qualified immunity. 2021, they rejected six cases on qualified immunity. It's, and the reason for that, we believe, was that they were just waiting to be heard. And we, were, we believed that they were waiting until December 31st, 2021, which is where the George Floyd Reform Act would die in Congress uh, with the Senate. And then about uh, an end of August, beginning of September, they took qualified immunity off the table in the George Floyd Reform Act. And therefore, boom, uh, it became a hot subject and one that the Supreme Court wasn't going to take lightly. Now, like I said before in other podcasts, it's not because the Supreme Court is, is trying to protect officers or is on the side of officers. Really, it comes down to a more critical issue, which is the Supreme Court is the Supreme Court. They make the law of the land and they don't take it very lightly when people such as legislatures misinterpret or try to skew the law of the land. Why is this important to me? Well, it's important to me because like every one of these podcasts, my goal is to give you confidence to do your job that the system is working correctly. Qualified immunity is a big part of that system. You can't have a rule 
uh, and you can't be held accountable for a rule unless the rule exists. Because if not, we would be trying to perceive how a court would interpret something in the future. What is very clear to us as we go on is that what the court says is once the rule is clear, then you have to follow it. And we saw that in the Supreme Court fired for effect in 2017, 18, and 19. And basically what they said in those cases was that we would not find against an officer for the use of excessive force unless the officer violated clearly established law, which means in the way I interpret that is that the officer did something that the court has told them that they could not do, very simply. Now, there has been two cases that came out on October 18th, 2021, and this is the second one we're going to deal with today, City of Tahlequah, Oklahoma versus Bond. And we've been watching this case for a long time because this case actually has a video. And, and when you get a chance, just go on YouTube and just put in City of Tahlequah, T-A-H-L-E-Q-U-A-H, as it sounds, right? Uh, Oklahoma versus Bond, and you will see it. Um, this is a deadly force case, and it was very important in the overall issue. So, and we're going back to where this whole issue started, which was the Tenth Circuit uh, in White versus Pauley in 2017. It was a Tenth Circuit case that started the issue of qualified immunity. So, on October 18th, 2021, the second of two Supreme Court opinions were released on the subject of qualified immunity. Uh, the court overturned a Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals decision. The Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals relied on case law that, quote, allows an officer to be held liable for shooting that itself is objectively reasonable if the officer's reckless or deliberate conduct created a situation requiring deadly force, end quote. This is a very important statement. Um, we call this the provocation rule, or this is what it was called in California, which is what it's saying is, if there is an underlying constitutional deprivation and you use force, the force is automatically unreasonable. Uh, let's make this understandable for you. In the Mendez case, in the provocation rule, as we'll talk about in this summary, um, officers illegally entered a, a house to find Mr. Mendez and he pointed a firearm at them and he, he, they shot him. And the court came back and said, because they illegally entered the room, illegally entered the house, and that was a Fourth Amendment violation, that there is no way the use of force after that could be reasonable. And the court case, Supreme Court came back in Mendez and said, no, these are individual issues, meaning whether first there is a Fourth Amendment violation is an individual issue, second whether the force was objectively reasonable is another individual issue. The Supreme Court, looking at this case of City versus Tahlequah, Oklahoma versus Bond, said, we need not and do not decide whether officers violated the Fourth Amendment in the first place or whether recklessly creating a situation that requires deadly force can itself violate the Fourth Amendment. On this record, the officer plainly did not violate any clearly established law. The Supreme Court continued that none of the cases in which the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals relied on clearly established that the officer's conduct was unlawful. All right, well, let's take a look at the facts of this case. 
On August 12, 2016, officers responded to a 911 call from a woman who stated that her husband, her ex-husband, Dominic Rollis, was in her garage. He was intoxicated and he would not leave. The caller told the dispatcher that the police assistance was needed otherwise it's going to get ugly really quick. And although Rollis did not live at the residence, he stored his tools in the garage. Officers arrived on the scene and they were led to the garage where they encountered Rollis. Body-worn cameras captured the interaction. Officers remained in the doorway and began speaking with Rollis, who appeared nervous and was fidgeting with something in his hands. Rollis was also concerned that he was going to be taken to jail. Officers asked if they could pat Rollis down for weapons, but Rollis refused. As officers continued speaking with Rollis, one of the officers took a step towards forward towards the doorway, and in response, Rollis took a step back. Rollis, still while speaking with the officers, turned and walked towards the back of the garage where tools were hanging above a workbench. Officers followed Rollis into the garage, but no officer came within six feet of Rollis. According to officers on the scene, they repeatedly ordered Rollis to stop, but he did not comply. Rollis then grabbed a hammer from the wall and turned towards the officers. Rollis then grasped the handle of the, of the hammer with both hands as if he was preparing to swing a baseball bat and pulled it up to shoulder level. Officers ordered Rollis to drop the hammer. Rollis did not, did not drop the hammer. Rather, he moved his to his right, coming out from behind a piece of furniture, providing him with an unobstructed path towards one of the officers. At this point, Rollis raised the hammer higher back behind his head, took a stance as if he was about to throw the hammer or charge at the officers. In response, Rollis' actions, two of the officers discharged their firearms and killed Rollis. Rollis' estate brought a lawsuit against the officers, pursuant to 42 U.S.C. Section 1983, for violating Rollis' Fourth Amendment right to be free from excessive force. The lower court, or what we call the district court, granted the officer's motion for summary judgment, stating that the officer's use of force was reasonable and the officers were protected by qualified immunity. The case was then appealed to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. The Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals allows for an officer to be held liable for an objectively reasonable shooting if the officer's, quote, reckless or deliberate conduct created a situation requiring deadly force. The Tenth Circuit concluded that a jury could find that the officer's actions of stepping towards the suspect and cornering him in the back of the garage, quote, recklessly created the situation that led to the fatal shooting, such as their ultimate use of deadly force was unconstitutional, end quote. The Tenth Circuit relied heavily on the case of Allen versus Muskogee to hold that the officer's conduct was unlawful. The Supreme Court took a look at this case. And the Supreme Court noted in the issue on, on October 18, 2021, that the case relied on by the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals was dramatically different from the facts here, and therefore concluded that such did not clearly establish that their conduct was reckless or that their ultimate use of force was unlawful. The court noted that the facts of the Allen case were that officers responded to a potential suicidal call by sprinting towards a parked car, screaming at the suicidal party, and attempting to remove a gun from the suicidal party's hands. 
In contrast, in the city of Taliqua, officers engaged in conversation, or what we call de-escalated. They allowed the subject to move around and gave him six to ten feet of room and did not raise their voices until the subject picked up the hammer. The court again discussed the legal standards for qualified immunity, stating that qualified immunity protects officers from liability so long as their conduct, quote, does not violate clearly established statutory or constitutional rights of which a reasonable person would have known, end quote. The Supreme Court continued its discussion by addressing the need for specificity in the Fourth Amendment context and warned the courts that addressing clearly established law at too high a level of generality, the court stated, it is not enough that a rule be suggested by then existing precedent. The rule's contours must be so well defined that it is clear to a reasonable officer that their conduct was unlawful in the situation confronted. As the court noted in the companion case, Cordeluna, neither the court nor the respondent identified any precedent-finding Fourth Amendment violation under similarly situated circumstances, thereby indicating that the officer's conduct was unlawful. As such, the Supreme Court concluded that the officers are entitled to qualified immunity. So what's my takeaway from this case? Just like the prior case, the, we have two in a row. It's kind of like a double tap, them clarifying the law as it applies. The takeaway, the facts in this case and in all use of force cases matter. Facts matter. Facts make force reasonable. In order to receive the protection of qualified immunity, officers must not violate clearly established statutory or constitutional rights. We have now seen from two qualified immunity Supreme Court cases that the court has reaffirmed that in order to be clearly established through precedent case law, the facts must be specifically similar and not generally the same. The court made this statement in both the Corte Luna case as well as the case here. Therefore, officers need to be aware and department training must consist of a review of relevant case law on point and on a regular basis. This review should not only discuss the holding of the cases, but what is very important and something that we do here very clearly at Daga Law Group is to make sure that the facts of the case are as relevant as the holding of the case as it applies. So the key here as we wrap this up is that it looks like the Supreme Court just did away with a year and a half of uncertainty. Now, do you think it'll clear up right away? Well, I don't and neither do you. So what is very important for the confidence of you as an officer, that you, as you continue down the path of the Guardian, and, and what we call here in the Guardian Mindset Podcast, is that we do at least something to uh, uh, help you with the confidence that if we have not told you that you cannot do something through court of appeals or higher case law, then the law is not clear. And if the law is not clear, you are opened and availed to qualified immunity. This is a good day for in law enforcement because the instability of trying to figure out everything you were doing and more importantly, everything you were doing that you didn't have any guidance on is something that's very difficult for you as officers and is unrealistic in its application. So embrace the day, embrace the confidence 
that this cases give you and, and try to work with me and with others to put in actual context the issues as they're related to all of the use of force legislation and what we will expect there to be litigation as it continues forward. I thank you. I hope you kept up with me. Remember, facts make force reasonable. So as I end, I'll leave you with this. Help those who need your help. Protect those who need your protection. And most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Be well. Thank you. Thank you.